Welcome to The Firing Line with Rick Travis, Legislative Director for the California Rifle and Pistol Association. The Firing Line radio show is brought to you by Turner's Outdoorsman, CCW Safe, Vortex Optics, Cutting Edge Bullets, and the California Rifle and Pistol Association. Good. Bad. I'm the guy with the gun. And now, your host, Rick Travis. Good afternoon, patriots of the Inland Empire and beyond. This is Rick Travis, your host here on Fine Line Radio. I'm the legislative director for the California Rifle and Pistol Association. And in that, I encourage all of you to become a member because you're going to see this week and the next couple of weeks as we have our guests on, just everything we do for a very low membership price to defend your rights, to help get you rights back that have been lost. So go to crpa.org and check us out there. Today, we have Costas Moros, who is one of the members of the Michelle Associates Law Firm that works with the California Rifle and Pistol Association. And specifically, Costas and I are kind of like the two bookends on CCWs here. So we're going to have a really great show where we unpack what's going on with CCWs, what we're doing to make sure that sheriffs and other law enforcement agencies comply with issuing them. We're going to talk about Senate Bill 2 and its upcoming um, implications for all of you. And then you're also going to get to hear some banter between us in the final segment where we discuss uh, what it's like to be us in this space, which is kind of probably going to be the scariest of the four segments, to be honest, today. So... uh Let's get into it, Costas. Welcome on the show. Thanks for having me, Rick. I think I've been on once before, and it's always a pleasure. Yeah. So we're going to talk about that famous thing called the Concealed Carry Weapons Permit, um, 58 counties, and then multiple variations in some of those. Uh, what do you see as the big issues right now with CCWs in a first-time applicant? Well, to begin with, California is both the best and the worst state for CCW, depending on, well, not the best because there's a complicated timeline, but it varies greatly depending on the county. So no, very few other states do it like this, where you have each individual sheriff basically getting to set, to an extent, the policy they want and how much resources they want to put towards this. And this was especially important before Bruin, but it remains important today. Because before Bruin, even though California was not a shall-issue state, a number of counties, the majority in fact, just not the coastal cities, were effectively shall-issue. Because if you put self-defense as your good cause and you had a clean record, you'd get a permit. Um, so the challenges we're facing today are related to that. Uh, the, the counties that were historically uh, shall issue already have less problems. Now, a lot of them still have wait times, which is a concern, and that's not really their fault per se. I mean, it's, it's still the government's responsibility, but it's not their fault in that uh, they just didn't they, they didn't have the resources to prepare for this giant surge in applicants, because I think what happened in some of these counties is even though these people have lived in for years places where 
CCW permits were freely issued. They probably didn't realize that. And then when Bruin came out, they're like, oh, I can get a CCW in California now. So they ran to their, you know, rural sheriff to apply, even though they could have done it for years. Um, and they slammed them all at once. So they're clearing the backlogs. But in other places, there isn't good faith. You know, um, we have major problems with, for example, Los Angeles Sheriff. Stay tuned about that, by the way. Um, but, but they're taking 18 months to issue a permit. And they we've co- contacted them repeatedly, and they just give excuse after excuse. So it varies greatly. You know, we've had success in places we didn't expect it, like with San Francisco Police Department, huge success there. Um, and then we've had uh, other counties which are just slow walking. We've had individual cities which charge crazy fees. So it really is a kind of a ga- game of whack here in California because it isn't a statewide system and that has its perks and its drawbacks like if if you live in Riverside under Sheriff Bianco you're glad it's not a statewide system but in other places you might wish there was one target to to attack you know yeah so you know a lot of people right now are still waking up and I think that was really appropriate how you put it because I found that very interesting especially in a post-Bruin world of how many people are like Wow, I was able to go to Shasta County and get a CCW, and I was thinking quietly to myself, not blurring it out in the public, of like, and you've always been able to go get a CCW in Shasta County. Um, but I think there's still a lot of people here in the Inland Empire where this show is heard in, in LA and Orange County where it also filters into that don't understand. I mean, I'm surprised how many people, even in Orange County where I live, that I get people to bump into me and go, you can get a CCW here. And I'm thinking like, where have you been? And these aren't brand new necessarily firearms owners. Yeah, you can. So where do you think that comes from this idea that even in counties that have been doing this for well over a decade or more, this, this apprehension of like, I'm a law abiding citizen. I can't get it. Do you just think it's the, the media or what? It's the media and it's the political atmosphere. So. I feel like the non-urban counties in California kind of have a bit of, bit of a battered spouse syndrome in that they just kind of go with what they think the politicians expect. Because you, um, if you saw the SB2, and I know we're going to get to SB2, but if you saw the press conferences, it didn't seem like Gavin Newsom or Rob Bonta knew that most counties issued permits on a shell issue. They acted like this was some crazy new thing that people are going to be carrying guns now, when in fact you could have, uh, you know, maybe San Francisco wasn't issuing, but you could have your Riverside or San Bernardino permit go and visit San Francisco and walk around carrying, even though the residents there can't get permits. You know, so this has been going on for years, and I think a lot of people uh, didn't realize it because they were just, uh, through osmosis, just... Uh, getting the message of what the politicians were sending and thinking it was impossible, you know. I think you bring up an excellent point. You know, one of the things that I've always found interesting and keeping it into where the audience can understand, if you look at how closely the four counties, Riverside, Orange, L.A., and uh, San Bernardino connect, but you can even look at, like, on the Orange County border, you know, you can live in Seal Beach, have a CCW because you're in Orange County, Go visit your friends just across at Mother's Beach and Long Beach. I mean, we're literally talking crossing a bridge. And the people in Long Beach, good luck trying to get a CCW over the last 25 years. Where the people in Orange County wasn't that big of a feat, especially over the last 15 years. And they were able to get it. And that's the thing that a lot of people don't realize. That permit is good statewide. Like, you can go anywhere in the state. 
It's not just to your county. I think that's one of the misnomers that's really out there as well. That's only for my county. No, it's for the whole state that you can carry it. Yeah, that's a common misconception. It, the, the California law is very clear that if uh, if you get a permit issued by your county sheriff, um, unless they put a limitation on it, but post-brewing, they can't really do that. In theory, in the past, they could put restrictions on your permit and say you could only carry here while doing this. But if, in effect, nobody actually ever did that, it would be too much work to enforce. So, so I don't, I don't believe that ever happened. I could be wrong. Maybe there were some outlier cases where they gave special instructions. But in effect, if you got a permit from a county sheriff or a city PD, you could carry statewide. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, the other thing I found is recently we've seen a surge in women coming out to get their CCWs. And that brings me to an important part that we could start to talk about that we're going to get into. And that is the idea of partners, spouses, cohabitators, however you want to put it. Um, a lot of them are now are both getting permits. And yet we're starting to see an attack in the legislations, you know, when you and I talk of trying to isolate that, and that's even one of the things we'll be talking about later on when we get to SB2, is this concept that I can't necessarily go grab my wife's gun or carry it on a permit anymore, or before we could, which made a lot of sense. And I think a lot of people out there don't understand, but the concept that, you know, just using my wife and I was, I have a couple of different firearms on my permit, because yes, folks, you can have more than one. And, uh, and part of the reason for that was because when I was going to go with my wife, I carried the same firearm that she carried, just because in case something bad happened, magazines could be you know, exchanged, both firearms could be used. That looks like it's it's going to be an issue as we move forward. Yeah, I think California's trying to uh, stimulate the gun market to get people to buy more guns. <laughs> Just kidding. Of course, of course, that's not it. Uh, but, but it is pretty absurd and it's inconsistent with how we treat marital property in every other sense. Like, for example, uh, if someone has a large gun collection and they get a divorce, you can damn well bet it's gonna, it's not gonna matter that the guns are in his name. Like, that's community property in California and the, the value is gonna be split right down the middle, um, or at least as part of their total, uh, property. Uh, so, so it's a little absurd now that we're pretending that guns don't belong to the marital couple, but just to the one individual, just in this sense. It seems, it's just another thing that, does absolutely nothing to reduce crime and is meant it's it's clearly intended to just be another little way they harass us. That's what it is, you know. And I think that's really important. Folks, you're hearing from an attorney that's in this space all the time. None of these things would have stopped any of the things that they claim. I mean, I am so sick and tired of hearing people in Sacramento stand up and say, well, by passing this law, an increase in taxes, not letting a spouse use a firearm, this will stop the heinous mass shootings on the streets. Wait a second. Not one mass shooting was like, hey, sweetheart, can I borrow your gun to go kill a bunch of people? Yeah, that never happened. It wasn't, oh, darn, if I paid another $5 in taxes, you know, I might not do. None of these things have anything to do with public safety. It is strictly going on with the governor of this state, Gruesome Newsom, sender saying, hey, I want to destroy the culture of firearms ownership in this state. I want to have total dominion. This is a guy that went nutsy cuckoo by all accounts during the pandemic. People are criticizing him around the country over this. Folks, this is a war on a way of life and on a, more importantly, a foundational constitutional right. We'll be back on Firing Line Radio. 
Turner's Outdoorsman, California's number one hunting, fishing, and shooting sports retailer since 1971, now has 33 locations across California and one in Tucson, Arizona. Turner's is your one-stop shop for all your shooting sports and fishing tackle needs. We offer a full selection and unmatched prices on firearms, ammunition, gun safes, shooting accessories, archery equipment, and fishing tackle. Visit turners.com now and sign up for the Turner's Discount Club for free and get our weekly ads and members-only specials sent directly to your inbox. For more info to sign up for the Turner's Discount Club or to shop online, visit turners.com. Hi folks, Philip Naiman. If you're a concealed handgun carrier or have a firearm to defend your home and are forced to use your weapon for self-defense or the protection of a loved one, you'll be glad to have CCW Safe on your side. CCW Safe provides and pays 100% upfront defense funds for high-quality attorneys, expert witnesses, and the investigators you need following a critical incident with no reimbursement. And they do it all for one flat yearly fee starting at $179 a year. CCW Safe has permit and non-permit plans to protect California residents in this state and while traveling across the country. So check out their new ultimate plan with no caps on criminal and civil defense, $1 million for bond coverage, a dedicated $1 million for civil liability, and many other benefits. You defend your life. CCW Safe will defend your freedom and financial future. In California, CCW Safe has got you covered. So join now at CCWSafe.com. AM 590, the answer. This portion of the firing line is brought to you by Turner's Outdoorsman. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. See this? This is my boomstick. Welcome back to Firing Line Radio. I'm your host, Rick Travis, the Legislative Director for the California Rifle Pistol Association. Today with me is my good friend, Costas Moros, who is the attorney fighting for your CCW rights, among many other Second Amendment rights up and down the state of California. And I'm going to open up to uh, uh, both of our shared bosses in different ways. Uh, Chuck Michelle calls the CCW reckoning. And so... Uh, Usually this is where we have complaints from members and people around the state that there are issues getting their CCWs. We talked uh, a little bit, Costas, about, you know, some of the challenges, and I want to put it out there. You know, a lot of the sheriff's departments up and down the state have ran into issues of where the Board of Supervisors plays budgetary games. Uh, there's just different rules and different laws on how they get machines and and get personnel trained and software issues. But by and large, those departments reach out to either one of us or both of us to say, hey, this is what we're doing to resolve the issue, and we work with them. But there are some sticks in the mud. Are there not, Costas? I mean, yeah, there's been some very, very problematic departments. Some don't respond to us at all. Uh, there's some cities in L.A. that still haven't established uh, carry permit procedures at all. Um, I, I, I keep hearing about one every every so often. I get a new city that um, somebody reaches out to me and says, hey, how come these guys haven't established anything? And I'll usually send them a letter and that will usually get them to at least say, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll open something up. But sometimes it's literally because nobody has applied or if somebody has applied, they haven't told us um, you know, that they've tried to apply so we don't know about it. But the biggest problem is uh, a, a few counties, um, some very high populated counties like LA and Alameda that, um, have except extraordinary wait times. I think LA is at 18 months right now to get a CCW permit. Alameda similar. Um, and, and 
they're, they, they constantly plead either poverty or lack of resources, you know. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's the government insisting that people have carry permits. California can be a constitutional carry state if they want, you know. So it's, I, I feel for these departments, especially if they have personnel issues. But at the end of the day, it's not a problem. Like you guys want the permits. Okay. So if you want the permits, you have to do them, uh, by, uh, what Bruin says, not, you know, not having, um, lengthy wait times, but also California law, which uh, it was 90 days. Now it's going to be 120 days under SB2. But California law says you have to have permits processed within 120 days. And that's nobody enforces that. The attorney general certainly doesn't. We sent him a letter about this issue and he didn't even respond. So uh, it's going to be up to us, I think, in upcoming litigation, uh, which might be upcoming quicker than people assume <laughs> um, to get this taken care of. Yeah. And I think that's important for people to realize, you know, a four-month wait is within the realm of where things are at. But I also want to point out something, too. Folks, when you're you're looking at blogs and things, because I talk to people on both sides of this equation, there are places like Hostess is mentioning that just have extraordinarily brutal, horrible, not legal wait times. But, you know, to those people out there that have done this, Please don't post in blogs of like, oh, Riverside County's got a long wait time. Orange County's got a long wait time, especially on the renewal people when you're renewing three weeks after your present license expired. It's going to take longer for them to go because they, and do not write letters and say, hey, um, you need to put me at the front of the list. And if they don't, then go on, you know, any of the blogs and start blurting your your upsetment. You didn't do it. If you're going to renew that CCW, my advice, do it four and a half to five months out in advance. Most of the departments are saying do it at least 120 days in advance because that way it will get through the process and be in your hands so there'll be no lapse. Um, you know, this is an issue that you guys got to realize. And speaking to that issue with this, this reckoning, would you advise people that have not applied to apply before the end of the year or just whenever? I'd say apply. Uh, it probably won't matter at this point because we're in mid-November. Um, and I think uh, some departments may go by the pre-SB2 rules. But I think after January 1st, all of them are going to start uh, or most of them are going to start following the SB2 rules. Look, SB2 creates hassles when it comes to applying. But they are just more hoops to jump through. I don't think anything in there is impossible to get through. It's just going to be more work. I think that's unconstitutional, mind you. They're creating more burdens. But um, it, it is all doable, um, and uh, and I would recommend that people do it. Now, we, uh, are, we're probably going to be challenging some aspects of it uh, eventually, uh, but I wouldn't suggest you wait until our litigation to apply because litigation could take years. And, you know, maybe we get uh, unlucky with the judge draw at the district court, in which case we'd have to wait for appeal. You know, if we get a bad judge who doesn't like guns. Um, so, so I would apply. Don't wait for lawsuits. Hopefully by the time of your renewal, it'll be simpler because we'll have, uh, had some litigation success, but I wouldn't wait you know, potentially years for litigation to shake out, just jump through their stupid hoops, get your permit. That's what I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. I want to encourage everybody. The more of us to get permits, the more this becomes normal to people and, and don't hide about it. I mean, obviously you don't want to rec um, advertise to everybody that you've got one, but like within your family, you know, let them know if it's appropriate. Um, 
as far as SB2 goes, let's start to unpack what are the changes that people should expect with SB2 going into effect on January 1st. Well, so this is a complicated question because the main change for you, if you have a permit, is the new sensitive places, uh, and that's set to go into effect January 1st and make carry basically pointless because you can only carry on streets and sidewalks in effect plus any businesses that post a sign um, saying so. You can't carry, you know, you can't carry in any business that doesn't post a sign. You can't carry in churches and parks and playgrounds um, and all these places. But the reason I say it's complicated is because we have a – uh, hearing on our motion for preliminary injunction on December 20th, and we think we have a good judge. He's this, uh, Judge Carney from the Boland case. Um, so uh, although I, I don't expect we'll win completely, I hope we do, but I think a lot of the worst parts of SB2 will be preliminarily enjoined uh, before January 1st. I, I think Judge Carney will agree with us mo- on most of it. Um, and for example, the worst provision, the, what we call the vampire rule, where you can't enter a private business without a sign. So far, five different district courts have ruled on it, including two of them with Obama-appointed judges, and all five have struck down uh, that provision in other states. So I don't think Judge Carney is going to be the first to uphold it. So that that is the worst part. That's the one that completely kills Kerry, because the places most people go are private businesses, restaurants, stores, etc. Uh, but we also hope to defeat other provisions, like with parks, like with, you know, churches, like, uh, like with places that serve alcohol. Um, so we can really preserve as much as possible. We're not challenging certain things. For example, uh, SB2 creates a prohibition on carrying in nuclear facilities, but that's all right. We'll let them have that one. <laughs> but, but, for, but, uh, so, so I'd say follow CRPA. We think we'll have a ruling on that before the new year. Uh, of course, the state may appeal, but there's so little time there that we think it will uh, be enjoined. Um, and who knows what the Ninth Circuit might do after that, but we do have the status quo on our side. This isn't like the magazine case or the assault weapons case where we're asking for a change in the law. We're just asking to preserve the current status quo. So we're hoping even the Ninth Circuit will agree with that. And uh, in, in Hawaii's similar case, Wolford, which is going right now, they act, the Ninth actually did didn't stay um, the, that that win. Uh, it was it, it could be a different panel for us, but at, but the Ninth Circuit panel in August or September when that was did not grant Hawaii the stay they requested uh, in Wolford. So, yeah, I think I think it's important to to look at some of these sensitive places. Like one of the ones that we've all talked about, but I want to make sure our listeners understand is let's take places of worship. You know, uh, I work in the the spaces, you know. Um, with what are called the sheepdog seminars, which are where we have, uh, people of faith come together. We bring in some of the, the people like Lieutenant David Grossman, who's very big in this field, uh, Jimmy Meeks, who's big in this field, Carl Chen, who's done all those men have went through situations at places of worship where armed assailants came in. Um, they, they have people that were involved in Southern Springs where many people lost their lives that day. And, uh, one of the people in the community fought against, uh, the attacker. It is reprehensible to me that the state went for that because places of worship are actually six times more likely to get hit than schools. And yet in the media, we talk about schools all the time. You know, up in um, in the capital, schools are always the first thing to go to with the kids, but they never talk about places of worship. And just looking at what's going on globally, um, between faiths and stuff like that. I think this is really critical for people to realize that um, 
you know, there's so many things you can learn. There's a sheepdog seminar coming near you anywhere up and down the state of California coming up here in the next uh, couple of months. And go to crpa.org to get more information on that. But, folks, it's like uh, Jimmy Meek says, nowhere in, in the, the good book does it tell you to bow your head during prayer. In fact, uh, he brings up the point that the garden, Jesus Christ actually told the disciples, stay awake and watch out. <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, I think that's something that you all need to realize is that the, some of these sensitive places are more than just sensitive. It's trying to create a gun-free zone which according to many of the assailants in these mass shootings is exactly the place they target because they don't think they're going to get hurt. We'll be back here on Firing Line Radio. Turner's Outdoorsman, California's number one hunting, fishing, and shooting sports retailer since 1971, now has 33 locations across California and one in Tucson, Arizona. Turner's is your one-stop shop for all your shooting sports and fishing tackle needs. We offer a full selection and unmatched prices on firearms, ammunition, gun safes, shooting accessories, archery equipment, and fishing tackle. Visit turners.com now and sign up for the Turner's Discount Club for free and get our weekly ads and members-only specials sent directly to your inbox. For more info to sign up for the Turner's Discount Club or to shop online, visit turners.com. AM 590, the answer. This portion of the firing line is brought to you by CCW Safe and the California Rifle and Pistol Association. Spartans, lay down your weapons. Pleasure. Come and get them. Welcome back to Firing Line Radio. I'm your host, Rick Travis, the legislative director for the California Rifle Pistol Association. With me today from Michelle Associates is Costas Moros the attorney that is out there fighting for your CCW rights. That's why we have him on the show today to talk to you. We've been talking about Senate Bill 2 and the sensitive places issue. And one of the issues that, you know, I often think about Costas is there was this famous guy that led uh, Great Britain during World War II by the name of Winston Churchill. And he had this great quote that said, if we don't learn from history, we're doomed to repeat it. And as a kid, when I first heard that quote, I'm like, oh, that's just crazy talk. Like, we, there's bad things that have happened. We're never going to make that mistake again. And yet, if you look at the Weimar Republic folks in the early 1930s, they had groups of people that were causing them trouble, according to them. One of those were the gypsies. Gypsies were looked at as being these people that kept coming in, uh, kind of messed up the neighborhood, doing graffiti, causing trash and stuff. And so they came out with a series of signs that were put up that said, hey, the business was basically complying with the government's demand that gypsies were not allowed to loiter, they were not allowed to enter the stores, they were not allowed to do a host of things. And there were people that expressed concern in Germany at the time about those signs, but, you know, everybody's like, yeah, this makes sense, this makes sense, this is good. And then moved down a little bit more, and they started adding different groups to those signs. Uh, This person can't come in, this person can't come in, and we all know where that ended up. By the end of the World War, a lot of those people that weren't allowed to enter stores 15 years earlier had been killed at the concentration camps. Now, here's the problem. I am not saying that California is building concentration camps. I'm not saying that that's where they're headed. I'm not even saying they're Nazis. What I'm saying is when you start putting up signs that tell a business, and let me break this down for you. That, hey, to be compliant with the government, you need to place a sign that says, in this case, if someone 
wants to carry their firearm in with a CCW, a lawfully issued permit for a lawful constitutional right, you can either choose to let them do that and not put a sign out there saying that you aren't backing your good state of California, or you put a sign out that says you're back the state of California. So what are the harms to the businessman doesn't do it or the businesswoman doesn't do it? Well, maybe if you're just selling flowers for say, um, maybe there's not a whole lot of harm. But let's say you're a person that has a small restaurant, coffee shop, something like that that serves food. Well, now you have government bureaucrats that come in and maybe you never see an A grade. Maybe the best you ever get is a C because you know what? If you're not compliant with the government there, there's probably other areas you're not compliant with. Those are just going to be assumptions that they're going to make. This costs people money. This is forcing a cultural change with repercussions that are severe. So if you're even somebody out there that's like, well, I'm never going to care CCW, Rick, so why do I care? For this one reason, you should care. Because this is government coming in to manipulate and make sure that the people who have a private business trying to be private entrepreneurs in a free capitalist society are not allowed to do that without saying, Mother, may I? And this is something that we as Americans need to realize. It's we the people, folks. I say it every week. We're the boss, not the elected few. They are the public servants. That's why it's called public service. So unpacking this, you know, I can't even understand when law enforcement and my sons in law enforcement, there is no way for them to be everywhere. And, folks, you got to realize, in a given city, um, we live in the myth that we are protected. We're not. We have people who are good people, put their lives on the line every day, that will respond to try to come save you. But that's the key word, respond. They cannot protect every place that every citizen's at. And that's where CCWs become a factor, because there is a plethora, or a plethora, depending on how you want to say it, of data and surveys and interviews done with criminal, violent criminals who say, hey, there are places I never wanted to go because you know what? There was a probability that someone could have had a gun or, or had the train that could have, could have stopped me or hurt me. So I chose to go to, quote, soft targets. Don't these sensitive places inherently create more soft targets, Costas? I mean, yes, inherently they, they do because if, uh, for example, um, if you are someone looking to commit a crime, anything from burglary to a mass shooting, uh, and one business is one of the rare ones that has the sign saying concealed handguns welcome here, you know, lawful concealed carry welcome, and the place next door or down the street doesn't have such a sign, so it's uh, at least forbidden by law. Granted, you know, maybe some people will ignore that dumb law, but which one are you more likely to commit your crime in? Obviously not the one that says people can have concealed handguns, because why would you? It's a needless risk. You may as well go to the place that doesn't have that sign, so at least by law it's forbidden, so there's a greater chance that nobody will be armed to stop you uh, within that place, unless somebody's breaking the law, I guess. Um, so it creates, it, it, it not only makes more of these um, uh of these soft targets, it literally is designed to tell, to warn criminals when a place isn't a soft target. Um, that's not the state's intention, of course. I would encourage even, even without this law, I would encourage places to say concealed handguns welcome here just to scare off criminals. But, 
but that is in effect what happens. Uh, but, but to your greater point, um, it is a system of trying to make people with permits who went through the government's process and went through all this trouble, it's turning them into lepers, essentially. You know, you're not welcome anywhere unless somebody posts a sign, which uh, I, I think one of our plaintiffs in our SB2 case says this, like, he's totally fine with, he, he owns a business, and he's totally fine with concealed handguns. People have been carrying them, he assumes, for years into his business, but he doesn't want to put up a sign saying it's okay, because that's going to alienate a bunch of customers. California is California, you know, so a lot of people don't like guns, and he still wants to welcome all customers, whether they like guns or not. And if you put up a sign saying guns welcome, you're going to scare off a bunch of a bunch of customers, so it is almost like a, a compelled speech issue by the government. He wants the system to stay as it is now in which everyone's welcome by default. And if somebody, look, if you don't want guns on your private property, I disagree, but it's your private property. And just like every other state, you can put up a sign on your door saying no guns allowed. And, you know, if you want to make yourself a soft target, by all means. But but I, I don't think it should be flipped the way the state is uh, flipping it with SB2. Yeah. yeah and I think, uh, what are some of the issues now that SB2 is going through also as far as what are some of these other hoops? We've mentioned it, but what are some of the hoops that people are going to have to jump through uh, after January 1st to be able to obtain their license? Well, um, there are more provisions in there, mostly on the investigatory side. So I believe it has a reference letter provision. I need to check again. So you'll need to get not reference letters, but personal references. So I think three or four people that uh, have to be a reference that you're basically not a criminal and you're not crazy. Um, you'll have they'll, they'll be empowered to do social media searches Um other details I remember are if you if you've been the victim of a firearm theft of more than one firearm that can be grounds to deny you a permit which is insane because um, even if you stored it correctly that can happen sometimes you know you're the victim of a crime uh, there's all sorts of little provisions like that that empower departments to um, basically expand what they uh, uh, euphemistically call good moral character beyond all recognition. Uh, to, to go beyond just a simple background check and instead have them making personal judge, uh, you know, very uh, subjective judgments about you and whether you are quote unquote responsible enough to have a carry permit. It's essentially because they lost good cause because of Bruin. They're trying to create a new subjective way to uh, deny people. Um, and it's kind of absurd because if SB2 were to take effect as written, a lot less people would apply because there would be nowhere you can carry anyway. <laughs> so they're, they're trying to kill it on both ends. They're both trying to make it more difficult and they're trying to make it pointless. We think we're going to stop them on making it pointless. So that's why they have that other part in there that we'll probably have to file separate lawsuits for eventually. We just started with the sensitive places first because we figured if the sensitive place is going to affect, there's no point in carrying anyway. You know, who cares if it's hard to get a permit because there's no point in carrying. So if we, we want to win that first and then when we do, we're going to focus our attention on all these little other uh, unconstitu uh, unconstitutional provisions they've added pertaining to getting a permit. I think it's really important for everybody to understand, too, that as you look at where you can carry, how you can carry, the hoops you have to jump into, there's often in the Capitol the idea of, well, you have to have a license to drive a car, so you should have to have a license to have a firearm. Folks, do they do background searches? Do you have to get a reference before you go to DMV? Do you have your social media check to see what kind of cars you post and how you talk about those cars? No, none of these things happen. So, again, do not allow the left 
to dictate to you, oh, this is normalcy. It's not normalcy. It's insanity, folks. This is absolutely insanity because remember, this is your constitutional right that protects all the rights of the first. It's the bookend to the First Amendment, your right to redress government, your right to freedom of speech, your right to go to the place of worship you want to, the right to assemble. All of these things become threatened when you lose the Second Amendment. And if you don't believe me, look at the majority of 170-plus countries around the world that don't have those protections and show me the protections of the first because they simply and patently do not exist. Folks, this is a battleground for the future of the shining beacon on the hill. And this is why the CRPA and Michelle Associates have come together to defend your rights. More on Firing Line Radio when we come back. Hi folks, Philip Naiman. If you're a concealed handgun carrier or have a firearm to defend your home and are forced to use your weapon for self-defense or the protection of a loved one, you'll be glad to have CCW Safe on your side. CCW Safe provides and pays 100% upfront defense funds for high-quality attorneys, expert witnesses, and the investigators you need following a critical incident with no reimbursement. And they do it all for one flat yearly fee starting at $179 a year. CCW Safe has permit and non-permit plans to protect California residents in this state and while traveling across the country. So check out their new ultimate plan with no caps on criminal and civil defense, $1 million for bond coverage, a dedicated million dollars for civil liability, and many other benefits. You defend your life. CCW Safe will defend your freedom and financial future. In California, CCW Safe has got you covered. So join now at ccwsafe.com. Turner's Outdoorsman, California's number one hunting, fishing, and shooting sports retailer since 1971, now has 33 locations across California and one in Tucson, Arizona. Turner's is your one-stop shop for all your shooting sports and fishing tackle needs. We offer a full selection and unmatched prices on firearms, ammunition, gun safes, shooting accessories, archery equipment, and fishing tackle. Visit turners.com now and sign up for the Turner's Discount Club for free and get our weekly ads and members-only specials sent directly to your inbox. For more info, to sign up for the Turner's Discount Club or to shop online, visit turners.com. AM 590, the answer. Welcome back to Firing Line Radio, folks. And if you've missed any of the first couple of segments on today's show, please go to our podcast and listen to it because this is great information. Um, I'm Rick Travis, your host, the Director of Legislation for the California Rifle Pistol Association. I have my good friend and comrade-in-arms, Costas Moros, from Michelle and Associates Law Firm, who is out there fighting against SB2, has worked diligently in the scenes. In fact, one of the most depressing moments in our relationship that I think he had mixed emotions on is when this Senate Bill 2 was known as Senate Bill 918, and I had to call him up the day afterwards and say, we won, we stopped it. And he was like nuts because he was ready to go after a Portentino. So... It wasn't because, sorry to interrupt, Rick, it wasn't because I was unhappy at past and I was scared that my work wasn't going to get used like some ego thing. It was because I knew it would be back. So I'm like, I was just ready to have the fight because uh, because we, we are where we are now again, you know. So that's I just wanted to clarify that. <laughs> and, and I'm glad you did because that's a great intro for where I was going. So we know we stopped some bells last year and they were some two-year bells. And I also know, uh, hello, the two-year bills are back because that's what happens in the Capitol. I mean, you think you've defeated something and you haven't because everything keeps coming back 
for round one, round two, round three, and just keeps happening. So, you know, we have several two-year bills that are coming back. Um, all those bills are incredibly egregious. And I'm going to talk about a couple of them that are, are coming back because they're in this CCW space. Um, you know, the first one that I can tell you right now is, uh, uh assembly bill 1133. So Shiavo is trying to take it to make it even harder to get a CCW by moving the standardized testing and everything over to the Department of Justice and actually trying to move the sheriffs out of the training space, out of who they won't decide who trainers are anymore. Everything will go to DOJ. And we know that DOJ has a plethora of agents, large war chest of money to do and implement in a way. They don't have squat, do they, Costas? <laughs> no, they don't. <laughs> They, 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 uh, they, a lot of this, what they pass is entirely dependent on us being the good guys and following their laws, even when their laws are stupid. Um, and it's something that gets people busted when they're caught for something else, typically, you know, so. Yeah. yeah. And, and I want to point out, folks, um, there are some good people in the Department of Justice that are trying to do their job, but the legislature, and they don't do it just to DOJ, they do it to multiple departments. I get to watch up in Sacramento pass laws, pass expenses that there's no budget to actually make them happen. And yet, by law, Costas is going to look and say, hey, guys, you got to do this because that's what the law says, which is Costas' job, and Costas is absolutely right when it goes to do that. But I have to look at it and go, wow, like this last year, we were $45 billion in change in debt in this state. And yet, I watched the legislation one day pushed through over 800 bills that had a price tag of almost the same amount of money. Now, any of us, you know, if our, our roommates, our spouses, whatever, came to us and said, hey, we're a million dollars in debt, let's go spend $3 million. We'd look at them and go, can we start back with the, we're a million dollars in debt, which means we don't have $3 million. That never stops the state of California. It also doesn't stop that, you know, like every other department, um, DOJ is trying to find people because there's, People just don't want to go work in law enforcement because it's been beat up so much. So, folks, these become issues, and these bills come back every year. And two things I'm going to tell you is, um, Kosas and I and a couple of the other attorneys, Matt Cabrero is one of them, There, we have discussions that start up usually about a month with what's coming back versus the bills. And, and Kosas, it's going to be another fun year because I'm being told by several people in the legislature unbelievably expect another 50 to 60 new anti-Second Amendment bills that are going to come out of the chute. Yeah, Which, I'm so jaded at this point. I'm just like, okay, <laughs> like, that's fine. We're, we're, so, we're so desensitized to it. It's like, all right, at least it's not 100, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> you know, my, my attitude is, is along the same lines because, folks, this is a temper tantrum. That's exactly what it is. If you look back to when the Bruin decision came through, it was the equivalent of World War II in the Pacific. That was our Battle of Midway. That's what righted the entire war in the Pacific. And even the Japanese High Command and Admiralty had said, it's over. But they still made America fight for two more years, island by island, to get it back. They know it's over. Like Costa said earlier in one of the segments, we're winning case after case after case in a post-Bruin world. 
And they are trying to find every way to go around those cases. That's what Senate Bill 2 was, as he broke it down. It's basically like we lost all these things, so what other sneaky butt way can we use to try to get around it? And this is why we work so hard. But what you have to see this is not defeats. This is part of a greater battle. And as we continue to win, this is going to be what reinforces the Constitution for at least a generation to come. So, folks, we have we have that one. And then we have this idea of uh, firearms liability insurance, which I call the myth, because there is no such thing as firearms liability insurance. But um, that hasn't... Ironically, they used to call that murder insurance when, <laughs> yeah. they wanted, when they wanted to say it was a bad thing when people got carry insurance. And now it's a good thing, and it's liability insurance, I guess. <laughs> um. And they're trying to set up checkpoints, you know, along the border, folks, so that, you know, ironically, uh, they want to use the agricultural checkpoints. I've crossed the border of California to Oregon, you know, to Nevada, to Arizona. I can't tell you how many times. And I think once in half a century have I ever been stopped to say, did you buy that orange in California or did you buy it somewhere else and try to bring it in? Like, it just doesn't happen. So. Some of these things I think people you have to realize are just harassment measures. But my, the one I, I think is going to be interesting is Assembly Bill 851 and it is the Urban Gun Free Zone Pilot Program. Now this is brought to us by McCarthy who said, Hey, I'm going to take part of the city of Sacramento. And he was going to try to run it as an emergency bill, which basically is an urgency bill, which means when the governor, governor signs it, it immediately becomes law. And it was to take a section of Sacramento and no guns, period. I find it interesting because in that section of the city were apartments, condos, et cetera, which meant literally you could have legally had a gun and the governor, without your knowledge, signs this thing and now you're a criminal. And this is being litigated. I mean, New Mexico's governor just did this with Albuquerque. She got stopped. I think now it's down to just parks, which the court, I think, mistakenly said is fine for now. But she tried to block off the whole city of Albuquerque. In Bruin, the Supreme Court said you can't just declare Manhattan off limits for carry. So it's the same idea. They're just they're just trying to see how far they can push the boundary. Well, what if we just do a part of the city? No, this is unconstitutional. A sensitive place, as the Supreme Court describes it, is the exception, not the rule. It's not supposed to be, you know, the carry is the exception. There's a few places you can carry. No, this is it's totally unconstitutional. So if they do it, especially if we've already won at that point, uh, SB2, it's dead in the water. We'll sue and uh, take them down. They'll pay our legal fees. So if they want to do that, go for it. I mean, that one doesn't worry me for that reason. So yeah. no, I, I think what I'm trying to get out there is you got to realize, and then we have 1010, which is flora, which is uh, basically right now, it's nothing more than what we call a spot bill where they're trying to still figure out. And I think this is 1010 will become activated that I believe you were going to win. Um, the injunction on SB2 that you guys are going for. And I think 1010 will be, no, they can't do that. And they'll try to, they'll try something stupid. Folks, yeah. this is the fight that we deal with. And I want you to know that the relationship between the lobbyists that represent you up in, in Sacramento, such as myself and the legal teams that represent you, 
We are constantly looking at all of these on both sides. We're looking for where to put the resources, where to direct people. And this is where you come in to help. California Rifle Pistol Association has multiple chapters in multiple counties statewide, from the tip of Oregon all the way down to the Mexican border and everywhere between the Pacific and Arizona and Nevada borders. And we're starting to develop some out of state. This is the time for you to get involved. Join a local chapter. Go to crpa.org. Go to the chapter's advertisement on the front page. Join a chapter. Come out. Get involved. You can get as involved as you want, or you can go and just learn. But I encourage you to do this. I encourage you to become part of it, because when you sit down and say, I'm not going to vote, and I'm not, you are voting. You're working for the other side, because your silence gives them permission. Stop being silent. We're in an election year. Literally, I know we've all heard this before, but this is an election year that we can save this state and save our country. And this means you need to be on the front lines. Be that defender. Get that patriotic spirit going and stand with us and stand tall and strong. The people that do this day in and day out for you are there to do it, but we need your support. We need your numbers and we need your voice. And so... Folks, when you turn off the radio, go to crpa.org and join. And we'll see you next week. And remember, as I say always, be safe, shoot straight, and fight back for your rights. When you have to shoot, shoot, don't talk. The Firing Line Radio Show has been brought to you by Turner's Outdoorsman, CCW Safe, Cutting Edge Bullets, Vortex Optics, Vortex, the force of optics, and by the California Rifle and Pistol Association. Hi folks, Philip Naiman. If you're a concealed handgun carrier, or have a firearm to defend your home, and are forced to use your weapon for self-defense or the protection of a loved one, you'll be glad to have CCW Safe on your side. CCW Safe provides and pays 100% upfront defense funds for high-quality attorneys, expert witnesses, and the investigators you need following a critical incident with no reimbursement. And they do it all for one flat yearly fee starting at $179 a year. CCW Safe has permit and non-permit plans to protect California residents in this state and while traveling across the country. So check out their new ultimate plan with no caps on criminal and civil defense, $1 million for bond coverage, a dedicated $1 million for civil liability, and many other benefits. You defend your life. CCW Safe will defend your freedom and financial future. In California, CCW Safe has got you covered. So join now at CCWSafe.com. AM 590, the answer.